Uh, Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to start verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Just a couple of things I want you to notice before we get into our sermon today. He says, let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness. One of the issues that arises is when Satan tempts Eve later on, he, he asks her this question about what God has said about the tree that they were not supposed to eat from. And he offered her this opportunity through this question to be like God. He asked her, did God say? And then he told her, he said, the only reason God doesn't want you to eat from this tree is because once you eat from this tree, God knows you'll be like him. And it's amazing to me that she was tempted by something she already had possession of. She was already made in his image and likeness. And what the enemy was offering, offering her was actually a counterfeit to what she already had. And I just came to tell some people this morning that some of you are, are settling for less than God's intention for your life. Because you're settling for something that God has already, you are settling for a counterfeit version of what God has already given you in your life. And I, I want to encourage you today to make sure that you're not seller, settling for counterfeit versions of the real thing. Because God, there, there is a real love. And the world has a counterfeit version of love. There's, there's a such thing as real marriage. God, God has offered to you. There's a counterfeit version of that. There is, there is success. But the enemy has offered a counterfeit version, come on somebody, of success. And we have to make sure that we are not pursuing counterfeit versions of what God has already created for us. And we already very often possess and then it says that God made them in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us today. We need you this morning. Thank you for bringing us together, whether we're here in the room or we're watching online. Thank you that we have this opportunity to worship together and to hear from you. We will not take it for granted. We will take advantage of this opportunity. We will lean in to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. I love this thought because what this means for us is God's intention for us in the beginning is God's intention for us now. 
God's intention for Adam and Eve was that they would be fruitful, that they would multiply, that they would subdue, and they would fill the earth. That's still God's intention for our life. As a matter of fact, our lives being fruitful is at the heart of God's plan for every person that I'm talking to this morning. Multiplication and increase are at the heart of God's plan for us. Let me give you just a few examples throughout the Bible. Noah in Genesis 9 and 1. Noah is challenged after the flood to be fruitful and to multiply. The people of Israel, when they went into Egypt in Exodus 1 and 7, the Bible says that 70 of them went in, but millions came out. It says there that they were fruitful and they increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. The Bible says about Abraham in Genesis 22 and 17, God speaks to him and declares, I will multiply you like the stars and like the sand. In Isaiah 54 and 2, the challenge there is to enlarge the place of thy tent. Increase your capacity because God wants to bless you. Jabez prayed in 1 Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. He said, God, enlarge my territory. Psalm 115 and 14 says that the Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Is there anybody thankful today that God's increase is not just for you, but is for everybody coming after you, everybody connected to you? In 2 Samuel chapter 22 and 37, the Bible says there, David said, he said, you gave me, God, bigger steps so that I would not fall. That's incredible to me. In Jeremiah 29 and 5, while they were in captivity, God's challenge to them. While they were in bondage, he says to them, build houses, plant gardens, have children, give them away in marriage. He says, do not decrease there. It is never God's will or intention that you would decrease in your life. God desires to take you from strength to strength and from glory to glory. I wonder if somebody could thank God today that he does not want me to decrease. This is, a, this is not a year for me to go backwards. This is a year for me to move forward. And I love this thought because what this means for us is very often that what God gives us initially is not really what he intends for us to have. I'll let that just sit for a second because it's early. And maybe you skipped the coffee because it was too cold to stop. But very often what God gives you initially is not what he intends for you to have. Because the mo <laughs> here's why. Because most of the things God gives us are not mature. They are not fully grown. And when he gives them to us, they look nothing like what it will eventually be. When you, when you go through scripture, very rarely does God give people a tree. He gives them a seed. And if God gives you a tree, he wants you to make a table out of it. He doesn't give you a tree so you can just walk by and look at it and be like, man, look at that beautiful tree. No, he's like, I've given you this tree so that you can make use of it. And I want to ask you today, are you being fruitful? Are you being fruitful with the things that God has given you? And if you don't see them correctly, you won't use them properly. And I want to ask you just a few questions, and then I'll, I'm going to let you go today. First question I have for you is when God gives you something, do you bury it? Do you bury it, or do you, or do you deposit it? In Matthew chapter 25, the Bible says that this man, he gives away 
talents or money basically to his servants and he goes away. And when he comes back, he asks them what they did with the talent that that he gave them. And the one that he gave five to, he said, hey, master, I have I have ten for you now. And then he gave two to another one. And that one looked at him and said, master, now for you, I have four. And he gave one to another. And the one with one looked at him and said, man, I I, I was scared to do anything with it. And I was afraid if I if I lost it, that 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 you would be mad at me. So you know what I did? He, he said, I buried it. I buried it. And the master looks at him and he said, you should have at least took it and deposited it in the bank. So I would have at least gotten interest off of it. God isn't asking for a whole lot. He's just asking for interest. Interest is the least you could do with it. It's like it doesn't take a genius to take it and put it in a bank and let it sit there. Some of you are like, God's asking too much of me. No, he's just asking for interest. He's not asking for a whole lot. God is actually just asking for a little. God has put so much in you. He expects something out of what he has deposited in you. He gave it to you for free. And he's just looking at you like, man, you have this free gift. Why in the world would you bury it in the ground? And I think most people are going to get to the end of their life and realize that all they did with their salvation is bury it. I just, I just buried it. I tried to, tried to protect it. And the thing about your salvation is you don't have to protect it. That's God's job. So go ahead and spend, come on somebody, go ahead and use, go ahead and make the most of what he's given you. So I'm asking you the question today, do you bury it? Or do you, do you deposit it? The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 9 and 10, it says that he supplies seed to the sower. And I think a lot of people in this room are like wondering where the seed is. And God's like, I give seed to sowers. Not hoarders. Not barriers. To sowers. And so I, I'm, I'm just came to just give you a little bit of a check in your resources today. Are you burying them or are you depositing your resources because God is coming back for something more than he left you with here's here's what happens <laughs> God God we ask God to bless us and then God sends us a problem to solve or we ask God for more and God wants to see what you will do with what you have So do you bury it or do you, do you spend it? Are you spending what you're supposed to sow? It's a good question, right? Remember, he supplies seed to the sower, bread for food. He will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. To really thrive in the kingdom of God, you have to think different than we think as an American. And as an American, we think as a consumer. In the kingdom, you have to think like a farmer. 
It's like, oh, those agricultural lessons that Jesus taught, those were good for the day. No, that's actually important for us to understand because the way God wanted them to think then is the same way God wants us to think now. But we have, we've, we're in a culture that is consumer-minded, uh, where we, are more, we talk more about what we buy than, than what we've built. Okay. So, Proverbs 3 and 9 says this. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And I came to tell somebody today that you're spending the thing that you were supposed to give and the thing that you were supposed to sow. It's, it's interesting to me that when, when people get a big check or tax season comes around, they get a big check or something, they, they see that as an opportunity to, to spend, to buy something they were unable to buy, to get a bigger TV, a bigger car, bigger house, when very often <laughs> that was actually God trying to give you something to sow. And your, your, your thought process is so limited that you think all God wants to give you is five grand when the tax season comes around. Instead of thinking God wants to give me a hundredfold. And if I'll take that and invest it. Instead of buy a bigger screen. I won't have to spend another day of my life worrying about how big the screen is in my house. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll eventually buy a house that you can't, you can't find a screen big enough. To put in it. But so many of us are just, we, we just want what we want now. And we don't see these opportunities as potential for growth in our life. And so in other words, harvest season comes, we, we get our harvest, and God is like, bring the first fruits to me. And we're like, no, I need this. And God's like, okay, you can keep it. But you have cursed yourself in your giving and in your finances because you have not partnered with me in them. What, what, it, what it means is that you are cursed to live on the level of everybody else. But when you, when you give to me what belongs to me, when you give to me first, what I can do with 10% is way better than what you can do with 100%. And if you'll trust me with it, then what you thought was something for you to eat will actually be the thing that makes you never think about what you're going to eat another day in your life. So do, when God blesses you, do you bury it? Or do you spend it? Let me give you this third thought. We'll stay here for a minute. Do you send it away? Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 16. Jesus has been teaching and there's a crowd of thousands gathered and it's getting late. And the disciples notice they need to eat. So the Bible says this, as evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Hey, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. 
We should send the crowds away. Send them away. That they may go into the villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> they said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus says, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven. He gave thanks. He broke the loaves. Then he gave some to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And they ended up having 12 baskets left over. What if one of the issues with, with us is maybe it's not that we are burying what God gives us. Maybe it's not that we are spending what God gives us. Maybe it's that we are sending away what God gives us. What if you keep asking God to send the problem away that will actually demand a miracle in your life? What if, what if David gets to the point where in 1 Samuel he is, he's faced with Goliath, but he's never faced the lion and the bear? What if, what if David sees the lion and runs, the bear and runs? He would do the same thing when he sees Goliath. What if, what if when David saw the lion, he prayed, God, get this lion away from me. God, take this lion away from me. Oh, God, it's a bear. Please take it away from me. If he does that, then when he faces Goliath, there's no confidence to face Goliath. Why? Because in 1 Samuel 17, 36, he looks at Saul when he's wondering, how are you? You're just a little kid. How can you do this? David's like, hey, I have already killed a lion and a bear. And this Philistine, he says, will be just like one of them. Maybe the confidence that you're lacking today is because you keep sending away all of your lions and all of your bears. You're praying and asking God for a challenge-free life. And every challenge that comes at you, instead of running at it, you run away. So you're, you're, you're living now with no confidence because you kept sending away the things in your life that would demand a miracle. And when you see miracles, all it does is increase your faith to believe that if God has already done that, then he can definitely do this. And for some of you, you know this to be true because the reason you didn't lose your mind over the past three years is because God did something for you before 2020 ever got here. I remember, I remember telling my grandma, hey, hey, mama, listen, um, you know, there's a pandemic going on, mama. Uh, we're recording church. You need to stay home. We, we, we did church at home and online for about eight to ten weeks at the first of the pandemic. And my grandma was like, can I come and at least watch you record? I want to be in, in the building. I was like, mama, listen, there's a pandemic going on. Do you not understand this? She's like, son. <laughs> I've been through wars like real ones. I've been through depressions like real ones. You think this is going to take me out? She was, she was like, I've been through enough to know that if God was faithful then, God is going to be faithful now. Can somebody in the room give God some praise for every lion, for every bear, for every challenge that he sent your way? Because it's the only reason you're standing right now.
It's the only reason you got any faith right now. So <laughs> he said, this Philistine will be like the rest of them. Uh. They asked Jesus to send them away. But listen to me, there are some things that he cannot send away because he sent them in the first place. <laughs> and so you need some discernment in your life because you might be praying and pleading with God to do something. God's like, I ain't, I ain't doing that. I'm not removing that. I sent it. Here's the problem with, with the problems God sends. You can't pray them away. You can't rebuke them. You can't bind them. Can't bind God. Can't rebuke God. What do we do with those problems? They said, Jesus, this is a lot for us. And we have a little. What do we do with those things? He says, bring it to me. There's so many things in your life that you're still holding on to. I don't know if you see it as a sign of weakness to say, God, I can't do this. I don't know if you see it as a sign of giving up when you say, God, I'm, I'm too small for this. I don't have what it takes to do this. I'm not running. I'm not hiding. I'm not burying it. But I don't know what to do. I'm going to stand and face it. But I don't know what to do with this situation. So he says, bring it to me. So they bring it to Jesus. And I love what Jesus does. And just in these few simple actions that he takes, we can see a real prescription for what we're facing right now. The Bible says that they gave it to him. And the Bible says he looked up. I love that. Because the thing about this is if you only look at the bread, you will, you will never see enough. So they hand him the bread and the fish, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's five loaves, that's two fish, and that's thousands. So I can't keep looking at the bread, or I'll get anxiety, because that is what it is. And I think some of us keep looking at this thing that's in our hand and like hoping that it will change. <laughs> and God's like, I'm not asking you to have faith that the thing in your hand will change. I'm asking you to have faith that heaven is your source and your resource. So he says, they put it in his hands and Jesus went, I ain't looking at that. I'm looking there. Why is this important? Psalm 121, 1 through 2 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence does my help come from my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth Psalm 3 3 through 4 says but you O Lord are a shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head I cried aloud and the Lord answered me not from the fish and the bread he answered me from his holy hill I need to get my perspective on something greater 
I need to have a heavenly view. That's why when Jesus said, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If all we do is look at the things that are in our hands and look at the lack around us and look at what, what is happening within our view, then we will never see heaven's resources. So it says he looked up and then the Bible says he blessed it. This is this is crazy because this is basically, you know, you get around a meal together and and you say, anybody want to bless the meal? And the person praying for the meal says, you know, Lord, we want to thank you for this meal. So part of the blessing of something is gratitude for it. Now, this is important because he takes what isn't enough in his hands. He looks up and the first thing he says about it is this. Thank you. He looks at what cannot feed the crowd that he's looking at and he says, thank you. The same thing that the disciples are looking at and saying it's not enough. Jesus looks at it and says, thank you. Why? Because multiplication begins with appreciation. And very often in our lives, things aren't multiplying because we don't appreciate what we currently have. And God's like, I can't bless you with more because you haven't made the most out of what I've already given you. You haven't looked at it and said, thank you. I know it's not enough, but thank you. I know it won't supply all my needs, but thank you. I know it isn't what you ultimately want to do, but thank you. I know it isn't the house I want to live in or the place I want to work. And I know I'm not at the place I want to be in my life, but thank you for where I am right now. I want to give you glory and honor because I know you are good and you are faithful. And right now, if this is all that's in my hands, this is all that I need. This is all that I need. So he says, thank you. And I think very often you're missing out on fruitfulness and multiplication because you're looking at the things around you and you're not saying thank you. It's just, a, it's just complain after complaint. It's never enough. It's never enough. And the things the disciples looked at and said, this can't feed these people. Jesus says, thank you. Luke 16 and 10, he says, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large things. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. There are people that tell me all the time, man, if I made more money, I'd give. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You can't write a check for $20. How in the world are you going to write one for $2,000? I found that out. And as a matter of fact, statistics actually prove that. Barna says that the more money a person makes, the less they actually, percentage-wise, give in our country. People who make less than $100,000 a year actually give more of a percentage of their income away than people who make more than $100,000 a year. <laughs> so the old, I'd give more if I made more, that's a lie. That's not just a pastor making up stats. That's Barna Research Group. Okay. <laughs> uh, he looked up. He blessed it. He broke it. Now, 
the, the crazy thing about this is that it, it wasn't able to feed the multitude until it was broken. Now, I think there's a misunderstanding very often in Christianity that brokenness is a, is a sign that God has left you, that God has abandoned you, that God has departed your life. That the sign that God is blessing you and his favors on your life is when all of the things in your life are perfectly fitted together. You're like that puzzle with no missing pieces. That's when the hand of God is on your life. <laughs> I've never met one person in my life who was an honest person who would say every piece of their life was put together. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you, and as I read Scripture, the thing I see in Scripture is that brokenness is not a sign that God is mad at you or even a disqualification from being used by God. It's very often an indicator that you are blessed. He comes to Mary. We just talked about this. He comes to Mary. Blessed and highly favored are you among women, Mary. I'm about to ruin your whole life. <laughs> oh, Abraham, I've chosen you out of all the people in the world to carry my promise. This is what I need you to do. I need you to leave your entire family Go somewhere. I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. I just need you to trust me. I know we just met. And I know, listen, for Abraham, there was no historical Bible for him to read. There's no reference point for him. He's the first one that this promise is being made to. It's easy for us. We've got story after story, year after year. God's like, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uproot your entire existence because I want you to follow me because I want to bless you. Well, let me talk to somebody who's done that before. Nope. You're going to have to trust me. But I'm going to break you in so many different ways. That it's going to be so obvious that I'm going to have to, your name is going to go from Abram to Abraham. I'm going to change your identity. You're not going to look like you looked when I got a hold of you. When they start tearing those fish apart, they stop looking like that pretty little floppy little thing that comes out of the water. And there was blood and guts. This is life. This is life. I think it's hilarious when, when, uh, when, when people get disappointed at Christmas. Like it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go to. How long have you been alive? Like are you a newborn? Because this should be apparent to you by now that nothing goes the way you really want it to go. And if you're not careful, you'll think that the brokenness in your life is an indicator that God has left you. But it could be that you're blessed. And I love this because here's the progression. He blesses, then he breaks. Because I cannot stand being broken if I don't know I'm already blessed. And my brokenness, my brokenness actually uniquely qualifies me to be effective. 
there are places that you will be used that I will never be used because you have been broken in places that I have never been broken. God is so sovereign that he even uses our mistakes to bless us. We stand on your feet. I'm going to let you go. <laughs> I saw this for the first time this week. In Genesis 37 and 28, the Bible says that when Joseph gets sold into slavery, it's the Ishmaelites who they sell him to. And what's interesting about that is that years and years before this, you have Abraham. Abraham refuses to trust God for a moment and he takes one of his wife's servants and he sleeps with her and they have a child and his name is Ishmael. So then Abraham, through his wife, has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has Joseph. And Joseph is sold by his brothers. To who? Ishmaelites. And the Bible says that the Ishmaelites, they buy him. In essence, they rescue him from his brothers and they carry him into Egypt. Hold up. You're telling me that this son that was born out of faith, not in faith, but out of faith, outside of faith, actually his descendants ended up being the ones who purchased Joseph and carried him into the place that was his destiny. I I, I just came to tell somebody today that could it possibly be that all of the things you went through, that none of that is wasted. That the thing you thought was actually going to be the end of you actually is the thing that carries you into the place. I, I'm just I'm just trying to help somebody who thinks that you've made too many mistakes, that you've failed too many times, that you've, you've brought some things into existence that really weren't supposed to be in existence, and you thought you were a failure, and you thought you were a loser, and you thought you had missed God. Could it possibly be that God is so sovereign that He's even good enough to use your mistakes to bless you? That blows my mind. God's like, I'm so good. Watch me use Ishmael. A son you birthed because you didn't trust me. That's why, that's why it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. When I survey my life and I realize all of the Ishmaels in my life that have saved me and rescued me, the things that I brought into the earth because of my disobedience and and my unforgiveness and my unwillingness. And God still takes them. That's why he said, I take all things and work them together for the good of those that love me and are called according to my purpose. Not just their good days, but their bad days. 
You know how he can do that? Because he is the alpha and he is the, the omega. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There is nothing that you have ever done or will ever do that surprises God, catches him off guard, or makes him have to reconsider why he called you. He knew all of it when he called you and he has made a way and he has already planned it out. So Father, in Jesus' name, Help us, God, to not take these blessings and squander them. Help us to look and see how you have even used Ishmael to bless us. Help us to see how you start with small things. That's why you say you love the beginning of a thing. Because you love to see small things grow and become large things places of fruitfulness and multiplication in our life. And so, God, I'm asking you today to help us not to bury what you give us, not to spend everything that you give us, and not to send away the things that you bring into our lives so that we can truly be fruitful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Come on, man, one more time. Let's just bless the Lord for his presence and so grateful all right well i love you thank you for being here today first service i'm going to let you go and our altar team will be around front if you need prayer for anything we'll see you soon